Today's episode of the Film Stage Show is brought to you by Mubi, a curated streaming service that is dedicated to elevating great cinema from around the globe. For your free 30-day trial subscription, go to mubi.com slash filmstage. Ladies and gentlemen, to a brand new episode of the Film Stage Show, the review podcast with FilmStage.com. As always, I'm your host, Brian J. Rowan. With me today, we have Robin Barr. Yo. Yo. And a very special guest with us today to help us talk about uh, David Fincher's newest film, The Killer, which is on Netflix now. It's Noah Gattel. Gittel? Gattel. Gattel. You should have trusted your first I should have. Oh, man. (laughs) Rule number one, trust your instincts. Gittle is definitely <laughs> a grandma's name, though. I know. Uh, anyway, I should have. I should. Uh, you know, it's too late for me to cut all that out. I've already committed too much. I've said too much. Anyway, Noah, glad to have you back. I'm very happy to be here. Uh, we talked about Crimes of the Future a year ago. Uh, I think this would be, uh, you know, this is an interesting evolution from that. It's a little less twisted, I think. But slightly um, less twisted, yes. <laughs> yeah, but in the, you know, in the same in the same ballpark. I, I, you know, I'm not a guy who really likes. Uh, I got horror isn't my thing. Gore isn't my thing. I'm not one of those sickos that we often talk about cinephiles being. <laughs> and yet, these movies, both of those movies, really, really speak to me, which is yes, very strange. And, and of course, you you've never referred to yourself as our resident sicko expert, so it definitely did not do that off mic a few minutes ago. No, absolutely not. Um, yeah, we, you, you've, you've joined us for, uh, now two, um, specific auteurs with a kind of like very dialed in uh, aesthetic and, uh, narrative concerns. So this is, is going to be interesting. Uh, before we jump into it, would you like to maybe introduce yourself, uh, do some plugs for the listeners at home? Sure. Uh, I am a writer, mostly about film, occasionally about baseball. Uh, and I guess my regular gigs right now are at uh, Washington City Paper down in D.C. I do repertory Good cinema work. reviews for them. Yeah, not too far from you, Brian. Hell yeah. And um, and for a little paper called The Rye Record in Westchester County in New York, where I do new releases. And I have a sub stack like everybody else. It's called <laughs> Uh, Good Eye, which is a movie and baseball uh, uh, substack. If you want to find it, um, I guess just Google Good Eye Noah Gattel or something. And uh, I have a book coming out next year called Baseball the Movie, which is, I think, technically available for pre-order right now. So if you want to find that, um, Google Baseball the Movie or something. Is I have it a... about baseball and film? Oh, I, I can't spoil it, Robin. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. Only go off all. the title. <laughs> it's a speculative fiction novel about a future where people only know baseball because of a movie about baseball. Um, oh god! Oh god! That's that's frightening. <laughs> so I actually I have a friend who's very into baseball. Uh, had her heart broken by the Orioles this year, and mm-hmm. um, I saw you post on Twitter. You're like I don't know what you're like galley print or I I can't even remember what you posted but I was like oh shit because she likes baseball and movies and is has a running tally of baseball movies she needs to watch 
Mm. There are a lot. There are a lot of them. I watched like 80 of them for this book. And uh, most I, of them, yeah. <laughs> most of them are pretty bad. Uh, but there's, you know, there's 30 or 40 good ones out there that I could recommend to folks. Not on this podcast, but maybe another time. Yes. Not right now. When you when the book comes out, we'll have to have you back. Maybe there'll be a baseball movie or maybe we'll do oh. a classic review of Moneyball. <laughs> oh, I'm there for that. Yeah. Um, no, cause like, cause she had a list and she posted it and she was asking friends for input. And I was like, everybody wants some with two exclamation points, which I love. Um, and then another friend of ours from college said one of the, the Airbud movies, I can't even remember what the pun was. Seventh inning fetch. Yeah, that's the one, (laughs) (laughs) which, uh, I don't think she's watched yet. It's not the worst baseball movie I saw. I'll tell you that much. That is oddly not a shock to me. Mm-hmm. Um, what were the two? They were the two. We've got already gotten off on a tangent. This is not good. But they were like two, like this kid is for some reason on a baseball team movies, wasn't there? There was like the one where the kid broke his arm. Yeah. So they came out in subsequent years, actually. There was Rookie of the Year, which is the one where the kid from American Pie, before he was in American Pie, uh, broke his arm and magically could throw 100 miles an hour. Right. Yeah. And that is actually loosely inspired by a movie from 1954, I want to say, called Rugie's Bump, where a kid gets magically given a a rocket arm. Uh, And then the year after Rookie of the Year, there was Little Big League, which is about a kid who becomes the owner and manager of the Minnesota Twins. Okay, that's what I thought, yeah. And then none Little, of big, those... Little Big League is really, really good. It's way better than Rookie of the Year for what oh, it's interesting. worth. I remember yeah. literally nothing about Little Big League. Yeah, it kind of got, it got overshadowed by Rookie of the Year, I think. And it was during the strike year when people were starting to get annoyed about baseball and like very uh, soft. And so it was just bad timing, but it's a, it's a great movie. And then, of course, there's Angels in the Outfield. Yes, there is. Classic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I've seen that movie so many times for somebody who knows nothing about baseball. <laughs> well, you don't have to know anything about baseball to watch that movie. That, that that's was, the it's true. You do need to know about um, imaginary friends because Al was my imaginary friend for like at least two years after that movie came out. <laughs> okay. Super I had no imagination. I just plagiarized from that movie you also like had no friends did no sleepovers because that was a real sleepover movie for me i feel like that one got tried oh i definitely no that was that was like the the start of sleepovers but then it would like i would get a friend for like a year and then good lord there would be some kind of falling out and then there'd be like a new friend the next year I didn't realize that was not normal to like I was in high school. What the fuck were you? Were, like, how old were you? Like that you were having falling outs with friends in like elementary school. It wasn't exactly my fault. It was because my mom had like a severe mental illness. I would like just have paranoid delusions about my friends and then would get into fights with their parents. And then I would never be allowed to see them again. Okay. Well, that went from funny to tragic. Really? Yeah, we're getting close. We're getting into the close to a good segue to the killer, though. Like <laughs> getting there, inching yeah. closer to pathos. <laughs> Jesus Christ! All right. Um. Anyway, so that's Noah. Um. Always great to have you back, and uh, excited to talk about the killer with you. Before we get into that, uh, the usual stuff. Uh, follow us on Twitter at Film Stage Show, Facebook The Film Stage Show. Email us uh, podcast at filmstage and, of course, uh, become a patron by going to patreon.com slash thefilmstageshow. One dollar an episode gives you access to our Slack channel where you can chat with us about all manner of thing. And, uh, of course, we are also brought to you by Mubi, uh, which is a streaming service that is dedicated 
to elevating wonderful cinema from across the globe. Um, Movie has a dedicated team of people who are bringing you the best in cinema from iconic directors to emerging auteurs there's always something new to discover with movie each and every film is hand selected so you can explore the best of cinema streaming anytime anywhere let's take a look at some of the stuff that is coming to movie we have werewolf from ashley mckenzie 2016 although her debut features title might suggest a horror movie Ashley McKenzie's approach to the tricky subjects of addiction and codependency is no lurid spectacle. Subtly conveying character nuances through textured close-ups, this stylistically bold drama is rich in empathy and atmosphere. This is a movie that I remember wanting to see, and I never did it, and I am pleased to see that it is on movie now so that I can actually check it out. I'd also like to bring to your attention Bunker from Jenny Perlin. 2022. Interviewing her subjects without judgment, Jenny Perlin burrows deep into the lives of men making homes in elaborate underground structures. As they prepare for supposed supposed impending nuclear fallout, this documentary provides an intriguing study of loneliness and American masculinity in crisis. So two great sounding movies, which you can check out now on Mubi. Uh, If you would like to try Mubi risk-free, 30-day trial. Go to movie.com slash filmstage. That is M-U-B-I dot com slash filmstage for 30 days of great cinema for free. And that's that. Um, Anything else to talk about before we jump into our review of The Killer? I think we should dive in. All right. The Killer is the newest film from David Fincher, previously of Mank fame. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. Um, And, uh, yeah, this film uh, is out on Netflix uh, right now. So you can can jump in and check it out. This movie is about uh, an assassin who has a little bit of a problem during one of his, uh, his assassinations. And finds himself uh, having to fight for his life and figure out who's uh, trying to get back at him. The movie stars Michael Fassbender as the titular killer. And uh, let's listen to a little bit of the trailer right now. I find music a useful distraction. A focus tool. Keeps the inner voice from wandering. That is the opening of the trailer for The Killer, once again, on Netflix right now. Let's talk about it. Um, We begin, as always, with our nutshell thoughts. We begin with our guest, Noah. What are your basic all-around thoughts on The Killer? Well, I've been... uh, Sometimes I think that the difference, especially on a first viewing, between a really good movie and a great movie is just how much you personally relate to its themes, its ideas whatever on, on subsequent viewings you can dissect it pick it apart see what it's doing see how well it's doing it but when you talk about like a gut reaction to a movie so much of that depends on the gut in question right and i personally connect to what is going on in this movie in a way that really took me uh, by surprise um 
a little bit about me. I'm not a contract killer. But to have that on the record. <laughs> yeah. But I am a person who's done a lot of jobs over the years uh, that involve very kind of structured um structured relationships with people. I've been a waiter, I've been a bartender, I've worked in grassroots politics, where you're sort of having these little conversations over and over with the same people. And you sort of get to know them, but you don't get to know them too well. And that's how I like it. I really like those structured social interactions. And I think that makes me a lot like the protagonist of The Killer, who I view very much as a man who is really seeking connection. Now, I look, I know my take on this movie is like a little different than the, the general consensus out there. Uh, I've seen a lot of people saying that this is like a very cold movie, uh, like it's a very cold calculating movie, and that uh, it's entirely about you know, David Fincher and his own, his own issues. And, and it's, it's, I've, I've seen some people say that it's just like a very standard boilerplate contract killer movie that doesn't have any kind of like deeper dimensions. And I'm really baffled by those takes because I think this is like one of his warmest and funniest and most soulful and maybe even most romantic movies. Although that could be a, a pretty low bar to clear. Um, and I think you see this like in the very beginning of the movie where, you know, his character is telling us all about himself in voiceover, all of his little mottos, all of his little bullshit that he uses to get in the mood for what he's about to do and put himself in the best position to succeed. And we see immediately how none of those things are true that he tells himself, how he doesn't have any empathy and how he always sticks to the plan and anticipate, don't improvise, and all this stuff that really, when you stop and think about it, are not even very interesting things to tell yourself. I mean, they're the kind of things that like a, a fight club acolyte might might say, you know? I mean, he's, he's a foolish character in so many ways, but I think he's a very sympathetic character too, because he he doesn't know who he is and he doesn't know what he wants. And I think over the course of this movie, as he has to go have all these structured interactions with human beings, you see his humanity sort of coming out of him a little bit. And if you accept the fact that he's a contract killer, I think he shows a lot of humanity within that framework, the way that he tries to make sure some of his victims don't suffer and the conversation that he has with Tilda Swinton's character, which is so uh, so profound in terms of like uh, the difference between the two of them and, and the life that he could have had. And I don't know, I think he's a really kind of uh, sympathetic, relatable figure. And because of... The difference between, you know, the discrepancy between who he is and who he thinks he is, I think it's really poignant and really rich and just kind of like endlessly deep. And that's before you get into like the whole sort of economic reading of the movie that that has, has been out there quite a bit. So I find there's a lot to come back to in this movie. If you want to just kind of sort of enjoy it as like a standard boilerplate hitman movie, I think you can do that. But I immediately find him to be like an endlessly fascinating character with with a lot of layers. And that's what really that's what really piques my interest about the movie. All right. Robin Barr. Uh, I wish I had your enthusiasm because definitely count me among those folks that found it to be a, a completely derivative, unoriginal and not very interesting assassin movie. Um, I mean, I've seen a few hitman films in my day and aside from the first maybe 10 15 minutes which 
I could maybe count as the most interesting. I was actually kind of shocked by how cold and brown this movie was, even for a Fincher film. Um, In fact, I expect more of a Fincher film, even despite the coldness. I mean, he's, you know, an auteur for a reason. And this felt like it could have been directed by a nobody to me. And in fact, when the movie ended, my husband turned to me being like, I can't believe how cheap this looked. And I can't disagree in it. And I'm kind of unsurprised that it ended up on Netflix. I mean, maybe, maybe that's a little, that's maybe it's a little harsh because sometimes good movies end up on Netflix, but it just feels like something that's going to be completely instantly forgettable uh, and will have kind of no staying power. And it's not just that it was derivative or unoriginal or whatever, or cliche. It just felt like every moment was created to fulfill some kind of like dude bro fantasy, starting with the voiceover, which made me want to shoot myself. Um, I don't think Fassbender is a good enough actor to do what he was doing, which is to give himself the blandest American accent, the softest spoken American accent. It just doesn't work for him. The writing itself is so 13 year old boy philosophical. It just, you know, anything that he kept saying that, that was supposed to sound so profound just sounded so completely dumb to me, whether it was like statistics about McDonald's or these bromides that, you know, whatever got him through the day. And then the story, which I don't know how much we want to get into the thing that happens in this movie is completely his fault. Everything he does. <laughs> I like how like, you're like, look, in- <laughs> look, this guy, he's just not that great of a killer. It's he's not. Fault. He, he, made, he <laughs> screws up several things in this movie. Which and is crazy because he's apparently never done it before. <laughs> right. It's just like, it, 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 you kept, kept making me feel like this guy was having some kind of like tantrum and everybody had to pay <laughs> for his complete fuckery um look the guy asked for a vodka martini you gave him a gin martini just shut up and take the the whipping stop trying to make it everyone's problem <laughs> it's just like every moment that was supposed to be like oh yeah this is so badass like oh tilda swinton just like i've seen her play that character fourteen thousand times before the only thing that's maybe unusual about it is that she's not in some kind of prosthetic it just did nothing for me and I'm going to go to sleep and I'll be like, did I see this movie? And also I'm sorry, but one of the worst titles I have encountered in forever, like there could be 10,000 movies called the killer or the killers or how am I supposed to distinguish between what this little piece of shit that got dropped out of Fincher's butthole onto Netflix is called like, (laughs) this is just nothing. I was going to, I was going to retort, but I can't really follow a butthole. I was about to say that's like a that's a that's just a podcast ending line. It dropped out of his bottle. It's not even like he actively shat it out. It was like hanging there and fell out through no effort of his own. It's sitting there just like the eye in the title. Just I have to be honest, scatology is on my mind after my food poisoning this weekend. <laughs> so no, if I, Robin if Robin does a lot of like weird poop metaphors, now you know why. Oh god. And I'm going to have a lot of, uh, I'm going to make a, I'm, first of all, I'm going to fuck up a lot because I'm still suffering from random dizzy spells. 
<laughs> like a Victorian lady. Yeah, I literally don't. So like, like this is unnecessary context. I I, I get back to you the distillery. You are the king of unnecessary context, my friend. I get back to the distillery from the farmer's market. I'm feeling pretty all right. I get halfway through one drink and I become like so dizzy I need to sit down while talking to a customer. And I'm like, this is not being drunk. This is not anything. Like this is just something is wrong. So I like down a bunch of water. I uh, like and I never get better. I have been dizzy since then on and off. Um, and it's it reached its apotheosis today at church, actually, which was very symbolic um and uh yeah i don't know so every once in a while i'm just gonna fail to find the right word because i'm very tired and Can i get I'm getting stop dizzy. drinking it's i don't drink like that much though like this isn't a hangover thing this isn't a like half drunk thing this is like some weird unbalance i'm probably fighting something off because like my daughter was sick earlier in the week and Ooh. so her child germs are probably in me, not making me sick <laughs> enough where I can take off from anything, but making me just sick enough that I'm only at like 80% fitness. Anyway. Right. Yeah. So um, my thoughts on the killer. This is like. From sickos to sickies. <laughs> yeah, this is way grosser than the movie. Just so <laughs> The movie's not gross at all. No, it really yeah, is. Yeah. Shockingly mild. Um. One thing I thought was funny, you know, with the opening titles, it shows him killing people in all these creative ways, like with a snake in one scene. And yeah. then most of the movie is just him shooting people in the head, which I thought was very funny. I think maybe maybe well, so that's like, part of your disappointment. There are things in this movie that I was like, I kind of dig this. Um, generally, this movie was like C plus B minus for me. It was fine. It, it, it definitely has that like Netflix Fincher feel of like... Like Mindhunter, uh, House of Cards, not Mank, I guess. That's the outlier of the Netflix Fincher stuff. But like, yeah, it just, it like, Zodiac is very calm and calculated. And it is in opposition to the mayhem and uncertainty of the Zodiac killings. This movie is cool and calm and calculated. And it's a guy who is believing that he's cool and calm and calculated, but is not acting wild enough to make the juxtaposition interesting. And the the plot, which I won't like spoil at this point, but it just never felt like it was really doing anything particularly new or interesting. Nothing was ever particularly difficult. I won't say that the it felt like it was on rails because like, you know, some work has to be done and I, you know, but it was just I just felt generally not very pulled along by this, but like there were things that I enjoyed. Like he, he does talk about like, you know, like you said, Noah, we see that opening with all the cool, like quick cut, the actually the, the opening credits, which just kind of begin immediately mm-hmm. were more interesting to me than most of the movie because it, it almost is like, Hey, this is how like cool and awesome this is. And then the movie is him being like, I'm bored as fuck. I've been doing a bunch of shootings recently. I haven't put a snake in someone's mailbox in 12 months. And it, it is like a guy who's in a rut at work. And so he fucks up. But instead of getting workman's comp, you know, he he gets his life threatened. And the life of but, the people he might care about. No wonder about. he's bored. All he's doing is listening to the fucking Smiths. Like, has anybody heard of another goddamn band? Yeah. What if he like put on some Morrissey or like, you know, Death Cab for Cutie? Oh, Morrissey is in the Smiths. Hmm? Is this just like a Gen X wank? 
Well, but everything you're saying to me is like, I don't disagree with any of your takes really. Um, but I think a lot of it is like on purpose. I think there's purpose behind it. Like, oh, absolutely. And this is this is why we want we we knew that we weren't too hot on this, but we saw how hot you were, and we we knew we uh, needed so you hot. here because otherwise, yeah. what a fucking drag this podcast would be. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, I think unabashed joy is perfectly juxtaposed to our complete. Skepticism. Right. Like I I appreciate the fact that you basically you did see the same movie. It's not like you were like, yeah. it's a fucking colorful laugh riot with dolphins and pigs <laughs> or something. <laughs> I, I'm dizzy. Um you know, you definitely saw the same thing. Um, but you took something from it that I would not have gotten. So that's that's pretty awesome. But like I'm a huge fan of this genre, like the double crossed agent assassin. I mean, like Michael Fassbender was in one of these movies called Haywire, and I love that movie. That movie rules. And it's just crazy to me that, like, this movie is so prescribed and so obvious. Like, this this feels like it should be from the 30s. Like, oh, it's the prototypical double-crossed assassin movie. Like, that's that's why it seems, like, lame and boring, because everyone else <laughs> has been taking this one chord and remixing it to do more interesting things. But it's like we've gone in reverse. And now we have the boring version last. It's like it's been distilled down <laughs> so hard that it doesn't retain any of the flavor of the originals. I swear, Noah, this was not a trap. It was kind of a trap. but like we, not... I didn't know what you felt about this movie. I didn't know what I was going to feel. I said I was pretty cool on it. I mean, like again, like I'm not saying like oh it was boring. It was just it just felt like fine. No, I it, thought it was boring. All right, well it was so repetitive. <laughs> I'm I'm glad this happened because now I get to monologue again for a while. Yeah, absolutely. And, Go I, for I, it. I, um, well, look, I, like I said, I'm not. I don't disagree with with any of what you're saying. I think mm -hmm. to me, this is a movie that has like a lot of dichotomous stuff going on it in it. And when you talk about like the opening credits, which yeah. They, they set you up for a completely different kind of movie than you're about to get totally on purpose. I think there's a smash cut from those opening credits to him sitting around in an empty WeWork space for 20 minutes, basically doing nothing like that is on purpose. Like Fincher is definitely fucking with us. And, you know, to me, the reason the plot is not that interesting is because it's not a, it's not a plot driven movie. This is a movie about, uh, his character and it's a, to me it's a character study and I find the character endlessly fascinating a lot of other people seem not to but what I see is that even in those first 20 minutes we learn so much about this person and you know those little quotes that he keeps repeating over and over and over again I don't think those are supposed to be cool I think they're supposed to be stupid oh, I think I uh, yeah, so this is where we'll agree because, like, there's the, the point where he says, "What is it?" He says, "Like every man and woman is a star." Was that it? No, um, it's the it's a different one. It's a different one by the same. I think that's Smith's lyric, actually. No, it's it's the one where he um no because I don't want to say who the guy was yet, but he he says a quote and he's like, you know, I don't remember who says that, and the quote was like, "Do what thou wilt should be the whole of the law," yeah, yeah. and that's Alistair Crowley, like. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it's like the the self-prescribed wickedest man on earth like the the center of so many occult conspiracy theories and this guy quotes him and is then like i don't remember who says that it's like you aren't even cool enough to remember alistair crowley when you're quoting him seriously he, dude 
And he and he mentions Dylan Thomas, but not exactly the right quote there either. He yeah. really does. I mentioned this on Twitter. He really does strike me a lot like Kevin Klein's character in A Fish Called Wanda. This is like a guy who reads the first chapter of books, but like, and then just like puts it down and says, I got enough out of that. He mentions <laughs> Malcolm Gladwell, you know, like a pop philosopher. He mentions the 10,000 hours at one point. He just does seem like one of these you know, modern dude bros, like he's probably a Jordan Peterson acolyte. Like, you know, like he is not a cool guy at all, but he thinks he's a cool guy. And I don't know, to me, that makes him way more interesting than like a, you know, like a stoic uh, Le Samurai kind of uh, uh, hero where, you know, he's just, he's enacting vengeance, he's covering his tracks, whatever it is. And we're just supposed to kind of you know, admire his stoicism or maybe gently probe his stoicism. This guy is like a raw nerve. He's sitting listening to the Smiths. He's using he's using 70s sitcom names because he wants somebody to say, hey, Oscar Madison, just like the odd couple. And then he can have a moment of connection. Like he is a very emotional person pretending to be a cold calculating person. I don't know. And that's that's really interesting to me. I, I like that idea, but I just don't know that and I, I don't agree with Robin that Michael Fassbender is not a good enough actor. I think he could do that. I just don't know that it's not there for me. I'm not I'm not feeling it's not it. there for I, me either. I, I don't feel his longing. I don't feel that desire for something. I like at a certain point, like, you know, I was just like, is this guy just a fucking moron that he has all these sitcom character names? Because no one's saying anything right. about it. He it's, wants them to, though. He looks disappointed like a couple times when nobody says anything. There's there are a couple times there's like a shot of him getting his ID back and kind of like, you know, that's a bummer. I was hoping they would say, oh, Sam Malone, just like in Cheers. That's I, I you know, OK, you're 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 talking. Maybe if anybody was like 60 again. years old. No, because I hear Sam that. Malone and Felix Unger and I know who these people are. Yeah, but you're an outlier, my dude. Oh, we yeah. Come on. People know Sam Malone. You know, there's a nice way to say that, Robin. And that was. <laughs> You're a freak. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like Sam Malone fits. I feel like, though, okay, I think I might have. Nobody knows this. what Cheers is. I'm sorry. That's but they the, don't. That's the largest thing. They may lie. know what Frasier is, but, but they maybe, don't know what Cheers Maybe is. that's part of what's going on in this movie is that he's old and out of touch and it bums him the fuck out, you know? And that's why he fucked up and he shot that Dominatrix. I don't know. I don't think this is like some extremely layered like Easter egg thing that Fincher is doing that he's like making you think this guy is dumb. I think he's just presenting this person as, you know, who he is. I just, I, I don't I, I, see I, the, cause it, it did occur to me when I was watching like, Oh, maybe this is dumb on purpose. And then I was like, that doesn't even make any sense. I don't think it's dumb on purpose. I think he's dumb on purpose. Like there's a couple shots early on and forgive me because I've watched this movie now three times in the last 10 days. Oh, Jesus. Dude, whoa. All right. That's, <laughs> I mean, good. I'm glad, I'm legitimately glad that you like this movie. This no, time. we've got a true scholar of this film. Yeah. It's, it, it's true. I, I could go frame by frame through it at this point. And what I'm about to say is evidence of that. Um, there, there's two shots in the first like half hour of this movie that, that made me laugh. And I think nobody else and one is when he is in the WeWork space and he takes out one of those little uh, uh, collapsible metal cups to mm-hmm. get a sip of water. And, you know, he shakes it out into it so it, it decollapses. And Fincher shoots that moment like he's shoving the, you know, the bullets into a gun, like he's loading a gun. It's one of those like cool, quick cut shots. 
and it's just about a cup for his water. And I, I think that's a joke. Like, I, I actually think that shot is supposed to be funny that he takes his little cup of water as seriously as he would a gun. And there's a similar shot when he goes into the hotel room, when he's staying overnight, he delays his flight and he shuts the little metal latch on the door with such seriousness as if that's actually going to keep anyone out of his room. And I I think the joke in both of those shots is that this guy takes everything super seriously, even things that are of like basically no consequence. This is the kind of person who would be obsessed with the Smiths. I think it all completely fits. And I think Fincher finds him very funny. I just think you kind of have to like look underneath and maybe watch it three times before you can see it. So I, I guess I'm, I am I find that a little interesting. So you're like almost saying like you bringing up his collapsible cut makes me think of like when you're a when you're a boy, like a young, a young boy. And like you you find something like that collapsible cup or something that you can almost act like it's a gun. Mm-hmm. Just like um, I'm thinking of like my drill, uh, my power drill that has the battery in it. And so like every time I slap a battery into my power drill, it's like, yeah, it's like I'm loading a gun in like a video. <laughs> exactly. Game. It's like a little boy's like acting like he's that way. That is exactly it. Oh, fuck. You're going to make me watch this movie again. And it's going to no! go up like a letter. No. No. <laughs> <laughs> No, I like right so the thing is, I I noted the way that he he has those things, but there is a part of me that I feel like a different director might have shot that with a little more comedy to it. Like I, like there's something about the coolness of Fincher's camera that it makes it feel like that is something you could read into it but not, might not be his intention. I, like if I, you wanted something to be funny, why not just make it funny? But, but isn't that the Fincher way? Like, his stuff is rarely, like, laugh out loud funny. It's sort of like, you know, I think twisted. it's like more of a macabre. Yeah, I think so. I mean, Fight Club has some laugh out loud stuff, but... Yeah, but I know, think so- Fight Club has the, the um like, the, the performances to set that off, right? Like, the, the observation it's- of these insane people with a unblinking disinterested camera in fight club is makes them a little more cartoonish whereas in this one i feel like you need to counterbalance his uh his being the killers put upon roboticism with a more energetic interested eye i i just mm-hmm. i i don't dislike fincher but i do find the the near deification of him to be kind of uh un, like la- lacking in understanding to me like i just I think he is good. I think he's better than a workman. And I clearly he he's made at least one brilliant film, which is Zodiac. I mean, I, I'm that basic of a film, bro. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> but like I rewatched um, some of Mindhunter and I rewatched some of Mank as much as I could get through. I really thought I'd be able to get through that whole movie. And at a certain point I was like, God, we're still fucking here with this guy. You've um, not seen it all the way through. I've seen it all the way through once because we had to talk about oh, it I on see. this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> it's, I tried to rewatch it. I was like, it's two hours. How hard could it be? And then at a certain point, I was like, oh, my God, we have to do with this editor who kills himself. I can't. I'm fucking through. Um, <laughs> so I just make it, do make it rough. And I do not get the obsession with Mindhunter either. Like, I think it's fine. But I, pe- I don't it, understand why it is are. fine. It is it is that level of fine. I almost wonder if Fincher has diluted his 
talent in my mind through his consistent mm-hmm. working with Netflix on things like that. Um, Mindhunter, I think, is also – I just have to put this out there because this this rewatch really solidified this for me. Jonathan Groff is so fucking criminally, terminally miscast in that show that it makes it slightly unwatchable. <laughs> um, I don't even know how to describe how poorly he fits into that character. And I think he might actually be a legitimately terrible actor. Um, so there's that. But yeah, I just I, – I don't know. I just – I need something a little more from – from him like even in rewatching mank i was like at least this is a style that's outside of kind of his cold his cold demeanor that he's kind of gotten used to people liking though it it does make this movie feel like a reaction to that where he's like okay cool you don't want mank i'm gonna give you the most fincher movie that fincher ever finched but see that's interesting because i I, I kind of agree with you. Like I, I do like Fincher a lot, but I don't think he's batting a thousand like by by any stretch of the imagination. Um, and I think he, movies like Fincher, uh, movies like Mank, excuse me, and maybe he'll make a movie named Fincher one day. Um, <laughs> Fincher <laughs> with an exclamation point. <laughs> uh, movies like Mank and Benjamin Button are like to me. That's oh like God. Him, yeah, it's like him trying to make sort of a warm movie when that's not really like his style. But and I don't think they work almost at all. Uh, but this movie is like him going to a familiar place, but inject to me injecting a lot more humanity into it, a lot of more soulfulness and romanticism into it. Than- How literally where? Because this character is a guy who is seeking connection, and all of these all of these uh, interactions he has. Like if you accept the look, I said this before. If you accept the framework that he is a contract killer and he's murdering people for a living, uh, so many of the things he does in the movie show a lot of empathy. Like one of his little oh rules- yeah, like fucking killing wait, the wait. kid. Yeah, we have Ooh. to get into spoilers. I don't know if we've said spoilers, but here we are. We're in spoilers. Congratulations, <laughs> people. We're about to spoil it. Okay, Robin, go ahead. When he kills the taxi when he kills driver? the taxi kid, that yeah. shows empathy. I, think I was. Does, at- I think it does. No, okay, absolutely not. No, so this is my thing. I, I, this movie, I I felt like if I, when I'm with a movie, I am a fish on a hook and I would like to be reeled in and gutted and fried and served to a family of four. Um, This movie sometimes hooked me and then I felt myself like spitting out the lure and running away. One of the moments (laughs) where it hooked me was when he killed that taxi kid Mm -hmm. because, because I'm used to the movie where the killer is like, oh, the, you know, my soul, I've I've been awoken and I'm a human again. And this guy is just like, all right, fuck this kid and shoots him. And I was like, oh, shit, he shot him. Cool. Yeah. But, he but shot then, him. like, I don't think that's merciful or nice. I think that that for me was like, oh, this is about an unrepentant psychopath. But if we're to believe your read, Noah, he's supposed to be tapping into his humanity Yes. Which I don't find as interesting. And so I started to lose it. And also at that point, when you begin with him murdering the closest we'll get to an innocent in his trail of revenge uh, and working his way up, I just like I just am not feeling connected with him in any way anymore if he starts to be slightly nicer or or anything like that. Like there's something about the idea of like, oh, this is going to be like an anti- anti-hero story he's just constantly going to be the villain but instead like 
there are those feints towards him coming to some level of humanity, but they're so, for me, not well integrated into the frame of the narrative and so at odds with what we've seen of him at first that it feels out of character rather than like a character evolution. And then can you explain this within the context of the ending, which, uh, I'm sorry, but like if you kill an innocent cab driver but spare some tech bro who put out a hit on somebody because you, I don't know, like believe their explanation that they didn't know that they were signing his death warrant. Like what, how do you calculate the two? Okay. So a few things. Uh, First of all, I think, um, you know, the, the whole reason that he's doing all of this is to protect his girlfriend, right? Like he wants, he says to her brother. We meet for literally two minutes. And right. Know nothing she's about not her. a real, yeah, she's not a fully fledged character here, but he loves her. And he says to her brother, I will make sure no one ever does this to her again. So everything he does in there and that is protect her. So there's just, you know, you, you could justify there's a certain morality in him, you know, killing everyone on this trail, leaving no witnesses to make sure that his girlfriend uh, is not hurt again. That's not my morality, but that's his morality. And if we start from that place, when he's talking to that taxi driver, we know he's going to kill the taxi driver because we know he's not going to leave any witnesses. So within that framework, I think the way he killed him was incredibly merciful and humane. Because Yes, I do. Because he killed. Look, remember what Tilda Swinton says later in the movie, right before she's about to die. She says, my last moments, knowing these are about to be my last moments, I wouldn't wish it on my worst enemy. That taxi driver got killed thinking he was about to walk out of the cab. But you did got he killed have before. to die, I guess, is where I come to that. Well, is that a question? Or like, did, are yeah, you... did, why, does, why does he have to go? Like, what is, what is the purpose of killing this taxi kid? Like because he's eliminating the entire chain of people who know who he is, basically. But except right? for the except the fucking dude guy, with all the money. Yeah. <laughs> the he gives power. an explanation. He gives an explanation for that. He says, "If I," he says early on, like when you kill somebody with this kind of wealth, they come looking for you, no matter where you are. Mm. Right? He does say that at one. point. I will when have to take your word on that. I do not recall that line, but you have seen this movie three times. Yes, he, and when if he's your on, Twitter is to be believed, you watched it literally last night. It's, I, maybe I finished it an hour ago. In fact, <laughs> um, <laughs> all right then. Yeah, so I have yeah. to believe that you are correct. It's true. He's on the plane. He's researching the the big boss, and he says something like, uh, "This is this is risky. Uh, the cops tend to take more of an interest when you kill somebody who has wealth, or or something like that." So that's interesting. I guess that maybe that's why he lets him reading. go. Or maybe he lets him go because over the course of the movie, he has regained some of his humanity. I actually think there was a chance he was going to let Tilda Swinton go until he realized she was planning on stabbing him. I was. That's another moment. I never thought he was was ever going to let her go. I didn't. I didn't think he was going to let her go. I thought they were going to get into another one of those like fights, like he got in with the the big guy. And I was actually pretty excited when he just fucking shot her in the head. (laughs) <laughs> That's another one of those moments where I was like, back on the hook. And like, thank God this guy isn't making the stupid mistake. Like, you know, you get worried in a movie where you like sometimes see some humanity pop through that this guy's suddenly going to start acting like a fucking idiot. But like being a human is not and even having empathy is not allowing yourself to get shivved by an obvious person who's yep. going to murder you. 
So that's I what I like about, about his, his humanity is that it really is so subtle. Like it, you have to really be wanting to see it's it. So subtle, it's non-existent. <laughs> I don't think so. I'm just loving how like Robin is giving no quarter at all. I know she's very angry. She's upset about this. A little she's not a fan. <laughs> <laughs> I just like I just I don't see it at all. But that's okay. We're two different He's, human beings. I think these people that he murders are his friends over the course of this movie. When he says at the end about Tilda Swinton in his voiceover, Leo told me she looked like a Q-tip. Yeah. Leo's the cab driver. He's calling him by his first name as if he's his friend. Like for somebody who kills people for a living, these structured social interactions are actually quite important. And I think uh, to me, this is like, again, within the framework that he is a contract killer who's murdering people for a living is a sweet guy who's trying to make some friends. That's my take. That is totally absurd. Yeah. <laughs> Robin <laughs> is just not having this. Well, remember I'm, willing, I'm at least willing to entertain it. At the same time, however, I am like, uh, I don't know about that. But well, what know, is, it's, what it's is interesting, the meaning, at least. The meaning of the joke Tilda Swinton tells about the bear who sodomizes the hunter, right? Yeah. She says, the, the joke is, like, he keeps trying to shoot this bear and he misses and the bear keeps sodomizing him. And at the end, the bear says, uh, you're not really out here to hunt. Are you like, that's the point is like Michael Fassbender is not there for the kills. He's there for the connection. To me, that's the point of that joke. Okay. That's interesting. So, okay. I will, <laughs> this is again, a t- before Robin says something cutting. No, this right. is a, this, I'm just, <laughs> you're, you're just like, that's interesting. <laughs> it is interesting. I find these reads interesting. People but, say know, that to me. I'm also the type of person who will read a person actively, earnestly defend the flat earth theory. So, like, keep that in mind about my brain. <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ. Girl, you are what TikTok poisoned. I am 100 TikTok poisoned. Um, but so, okay, so there's there's a running joke in the, uh, the, the TV show Homicide, Life on the Street, where the detectives will walk into a room and they will only be telling the punchline of a joke. And... I think that the only punchline you ever hear is, and the bear said, you're not really here to hunt, are you? Hmm. And I've never known what that joke was, and I've never looked it up. And Uh, so hearing that in this movie, I was like, oh, wow, that's fucked up. That's crazy that that's the joke that apparently all of these detectives are passing around off screen. That's incredible. Yeah. All right. That's kind of amazing. Yeah. Now I want to know the thematic link between uh, the entire homicide series and the killer. Cause I, I bet Fincher is like a homicide fan, right? Oh, he's, I mean, he's gotta be right. Like, I don't know. Barry Levinson helped bring that to life. And uh, David Simon wrote the book that, you know, got turned into it. A bunch of great actors have been on it. It would not shock me to find out that Fincher likes homicide life on the street. Well, I do think there's a whole level of the movie that is, you know, self-referential or at least self-reflective. You know, I think it's very easy to say, um, you know, like, oh, this is a movie Fincher made about himself and the killer is all controlled like he's controlled. And to be honest with you, like those takes generally like don't interest me that much because I think in a way every movie is about filmmaking you know like you it, it's imbued with like whatever the filmmakers are doing at the time that they're making the movie and they happen to be making a movie at that time if you if you follow me uh but uh you know i do think there's to me one of the things i like about this movie is that it is filled with so much of the things that interest fincher but it's just a more self-reflective version of that he's taking this character who is super controlled and super exacting 
which we know Fincher to be. I mean, every actor who's ever worked with him talks about this, right? It's part of his legend. And he kind of portrays him to be a fool, somebody for whom control is is just bullshit that they prop themselves up with. And uh, yeah, that's another level of it that that is really fun and interesting to me. Why is this somebody you want to spend time with? You mean you guys? Zing. Yeah. You mean uh, this character? Yeah. Because he's interesting. Because he says he's one thing and he's actually something else. Like I think that's dramatically rich, and I think it's comedically rich as well. Like to watch him sort of come to terms with who he is. Because I think, you know, and, and certainly the final lines of this movie indicate he is coming to terms with who he is. He says he's one of the few in the beginning, and by the end, he says he's one of the many. And not entirely sure what that means, but he seems to know what it means. And I just think that somebody who is full of shit and over the course of the movie becomes like a little bit less full of shit, you know, that's compelling to me. And I, I without sounding like too much of an asshole, it does connect to something fundamental of the human condition, which is that we lie to ourselves. You know, we use we use things to prop us up, to tell us who we are, to get through the day, to get through our jobs, especially. And this is a guy who was one thing at home and another thing at work. And what happened on this job sort of made those two sides have to fight with each other a little bit and 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 integrate. And I don't know, I found it a I found it a very compelling thing to watch. Okay, I have a question for folks here. Um Brian and yeah. also Noah, what are some films that you you unabashedly have a batshit take on that you love? Okay, so so I have to love a movie and have a read of it where people are like, whoa, what? Yes, like there are movies that I absolutely defend to the death. And like, I know it's psycho, but they're great. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm curious, like, oh, so I'm curious that for you, Brian, but I'm also curious about this for you, Noah, because I'm just wondering, like, I want to maybe create a narrative of of maybe other movies that you have this um this read this type of read on that most other critics or other viewers might not just mm. out of curiosity uh, i don't know that i have any batshit takes i mean i know there's some movies I mean, I would, that i a lot your take on the killer is pretty batshit right yeah now. this is probably number one <laughs> a bullet uh right here but i don't think i i can't think of any other uh batshit takes but there are definitely movies that i like a lot better than other people like I don't know. Last year, I thought The Eternal Daughter was the best movie I saw of the year, and I didn't really even see it on anyone else's top. But 10. I mean, like a batshit take, where like literally nobody of nobody else has the same critical read on it as you, but you see something special in it. Like this, I don't even know if there's this is a great frame of reference, but like I really like this movie called Earwig and the Witch, which is actually considered maybe one of the worst. Ghibli movies that have ever been made and yet I really connected to this like little weird ugly animated movie and (laughs) nobody else would ever agree with my take on it yet it yet it you know because you said at the beginning like Mm -hmm. there are just some things you're going to relate to and that's going to give you um that's going to 
just create a different lens for you. Well, that's a movie that I know that I have an absolute batshit take on that I will defend to the death. So I'm curious so, if there are other films so like that. Your take is just like, it's good and I like it. Like, I don't have to have like a weird conspiratorial read on something, right? I mean, I would say my conspiratorial read on, say, Earwig and the Witch is, you know, some of the thematic elements that maybe I saw in it. Yeah. Like, it's about a little girl who is whose superpower as a as a magical being is that she's so manipulative that like people just fall in line for her. And I found that very compelling and maybe not other, maybe people would just be like, this is a weird, ugly, pointless witch movie. But I thought it was just like totally gripping. So I know that's totally batshit. Maybe it's just the unabashed love is the batshit part. Well, the question is like, are you seeing what's really there? Or are you bringing so much of your own stuff to it that you're sort of making? Well, that's the question I would ask of you. So maybe yeah. it does. Maybe that answer doesn't matter, or maybe the question doesn't matter as much. Well, I'll tell you, the movie that comes to mind for me is, um, I, I talk about it a lot on Twitter. Are you familiar with the 1998 uh, film Zero Effect? It sounds familiar, but I don't know if I can grasp what that is. So it's a, I know what this is. It's a sort of Sherlock Holmesian mystery comedy starring Bill Pullman as the detective and Ben Stiller as his Watson sort of and it involves a case uh with a, a, a timber magnate in Portland, Oregon played by Ryan O'Neill and um it's my favorite movie of all time and my I mean, this is not going to mean much to you if you guys don't know the movie, but my my batch of take on it, which is sort of part of why I love it, but but really is like just another interesting thing about it. It's the first movie by Jake Kasdan, who, you know, does a lot of like, I think he did the Jumanji movies. Like yeah, he sort Jumanji of the next level, movie. walk hard. Right. But this was his first movie and he met Bill Pullman on the set of The Accidental Tourist, his father's movie. And my batshit crazy theory about the movie is that the entire movie is about his father, Lawrence Kasdan. And it adds a whole level of intrigue and, um, you know, metaphor to the film for me. And I, I mean, I, I don't know anyone else who really even cares about this movie. So I, I haven't really gotten to test the theory out on too many people. <laughs> but, uh, I, I batshit crazy love the movie and my take on it is completely unique. Oh, he directed... Well, so this, this is weird. So, Zero Effect is 1998. Also, why is it called Zero Effect? Never mind. The character's named Daryl Zero. The final words of the movie are Zero Effect. And I fucking love it when the final words of the movie are oh, the title. God. That's yeah. why you liked it in this movie where uh, he said, I am the killer. <laughs> 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 he also did Orange County, which is a, a, a movie that I stand up for. Yeah. <laughs> You're just going to say, which is a movie. <laughs> which which is a film um was produced and the but then apparently there was a, a tv movie in 2002 called zero effect that's a that was a pilot they made with alan oh. playing the Dar the bill pullman role gotcha yeah it says based on zero effect this quirky unsold pilot for nbc <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, man. guys the movie's yeah. great just go watch the Walk movie Hard is definitely the best thing this guy's ever done right and yeah. i would say freaks and geeks 
He was. But you, you haven't seen Zero Effect. Just I have not seen Zero. That's Effect. true. That's true. <laughs> he um. Well, he he directed the pilot of New Girl, which the pilot's all right. Um, and then he did Naked, which I think is one of the episodes where it starts to find its real footing. And then in the second season, he did A Father's Love, Chicago, which is a big one, and Elaine's Big Day, which is hilarious. There you go. Are these episodes of New Girl that you seemingly remember? I'm looking. First of all, I'm looking at his IMDb, but I know what each of these is. Yeah. That's insane. Uh, That is a batshit take. (laughs) (laughs) That's my batshit take. Yeah, that you remember New Girl episodes to the point of you can recognize them by title. Yeah. You don't know TV show things by title? Oh, yeah. Good ones. The New oh. Girl. Okay. New Girl is a great series. You know what? We're not getting into this. Um, mm. I get a lot of New Girl clips on TikTok recommended to me. And uh, it's <laughs> yeah. pretty good. And they're all done at like 1.25 speed and like backwards. <laughs> um, <laughs> they like flip the image and like they have a ripple effect so that the the machines won't realize that it's a copyrighted thing. Um so, so I just want to summarize that Noah's batshit take on Zero Effect is that it exists and that he likes it. <laughs> no, because he said there was a thing about what was I can't even it's remember secret, now. It's secretly about uh, living with a, his his a famous father. All oh, right, yeah, that's your you conspiracy go. theory about it. Um, I so okay, there's Brian. a movie that I loved, and it's actually one of like the weirdly contentious, the most weirdly most contentious episodes of this podcast. I really liked the movie Triple Nine. Um, which is directed by John Hillcote, who is a director I really like. And he, and it's like a a movie about like a bunch of cops who are also criminals. Right. And they like, you know, are, are working as like robbers of banks and stuff, but they are also in the, like under the thumb of a, uh, like a, like a criminal enterprise who makes them do things, but also like they need to rob a place and the best way they can think to do it is to create a distraction for the police in the city of Atlanta. And the distraction they come up with is they're going to kill another cop. Then a triple nine is the is the sign for an officer down. And so it's this movie um, that is it is it is sweaty and gross and every character in it fucking sucks. And it is ugly but it is so i loved it it was so good (laughs) everything is bad and it sucks and it's ugly and it stinks yeah it's like you're watching this movie movie and you're just like this like these people are filthy and cruel and everyone is just out for themselves and even when they try to give someone like a child that they love they're such a fucking asshole about it and th- but there's a lot going on in it, and it it has enough stuff going on to recommend. And I think it's like a just like really harsh, gritty thing that I just love. And I, there's something about John Hillcoat movies where he is so like blasé and uninterested in violence, even as he depicts it unflinchingly, that it almost makes the banality of the violence. It, may- it it doesn't almost it does work to make the banality of the violence make the violence worse. And more intense and more impactful. But like the to people on that episode with me were like, it's like not particularly like new. It's not particularly interesting. Meh, I don't know. And then there was like a whole there was a whole moment where um, I think it was Bill was like, I don't understand why he like it was something having to do with like a shootout. And why did the guy like stay behind a car or not stay behind a car? And I just got to the point where I was like so annoyed 
that I was just like, I don't understand what we're even talking about. Um, but yeah, no, I I really like that movie. I watch it a bunch. It's it's it is it it's not like my heat, but it might be in the same league for me as Heat, of just like I mean, a really I mean, great cops and robbers criminal story with enough interesting new stuff and enough style and enough, if not actual like text or subtext, like clearly at least the people who wrote it and directed it were thinking enough about these things that it makes it interesting. I but I guarantee I'm the only person on earth who would ever defend that movie like this. I don't even remember. In fact, when you first started talking about it, I was thinking of Triple Frontier. It took a while before <laughs> we were talking about. Uh, it's but I crazy looked it up because the movie has like a crazy fucking stacked cast of yeah. like people who are well-respected and who've done huge things. It's Casey Affleck, Chiwetel Ejiofor, Anthony Mackie, Aaron Paul, Woody Harrelson, Kate Winslet, Gal Gadot, Norman Reedus at the in like the fucking middle of his goddamn Walking Dead thing. Uh, Michael Kenneth Williams, Clifton Collins Jr. Hmm. Like this movie is packed to the gills with incredible actors. And um, yeah, I don't know. I really like it. I think it's stylish. It says, uh, stylish. I think it's it's a it's a fucking rollicking good time. It's better than Kate Winslet plays a Russian crime lord. Yeah, is is her Russian accent better than it was in the Steve Jobs movie? Uh, yeah, because she's, Polish, it, in that she's movie. Polish in that movie, so by dint of that, it has Excuse to be. Yeah, Let's cut that out. Excuse me. Oh yeah, another bad fastbender movie. <laughs> but yeah, I, I in fact now even just talking about, it, I'm like maybe I'll put it on tonight before I go to bed. I um, like what you said about that you could smell the movie because that's so rare. Like it's such a hard thing to get across in film is smell. Like every yeah. other sense, you know, you can do it, but like. I don't know what movies smell like McCabe and Mrs. Miller. Maybe it's like, it's pretty, pretty rare. Perfume the story of a murderer. I know this sounds <laughs> yeah. like a joke. Definitely. I know this sounds like no, a joke. That movie, that movie stinks. That movie has a stink to it, except for when he's butchering beautiful women. Cause then it smells really good. <laughs> <laughs> is that, that's, is that a movie that I could say? Like, I really love that movie. Is that another one where it's like, what the shit is wrong with you? <laughs> no, that's a good movie. Okay, all right, good. It's okay to like movies that are, I don't know, painful to watch or cruel or gross. That is not my concern about the killer. See, what you said about Fassbender and Steve Jobs is interesting to me, Robin, because, like, to me, he specializes in playing these characters who are sort of placid on the surface, but have this, like, ocean of emotion whether it's anger or resentment or i don't think that's him playing somebody i think that's him yeah maybe he's known to be a pretty violent guy yeah that's true Yeah, i was about to say wasn't there stuff about him possibly being like an abusive partner yes i've heard that yeah there was there was something about that i don't remember if that ever came to anything well, I was just about to defend his performance, but now I kind of feel like I can't. <laughs> now you know you it's actually <laughs> Listen, you could be a good actor and a piece of shit. I mean, I mean almost, it life. seems like more and more almost exclusively <laughs> you have to be a piece of shit to be a good actor. <laughs> it's, you know, not not happy about it, but that does sometimes appear to be the way of this world. Um, what was I going to say? Yeah, I mean like I I really liked him a lot. Like Fastbender is fantastic. Like him and Shame, him and yeah. Shame is incredible. There's a guy who's like Oh, I have everything together. And then meanwhile, he's like trembling at the edges of his eyes mm-hmm. and can't have meaningful sex with a gorgeous woman and has to like, you who know, can? Hmm? who can? 
Yeah. Well, was- and Steve Jobs is the same. He's like, I mean, he's a little angrier in that, but he also is like maintained, you know, he's working so hard to maintain his composure the whole movie. And even in Glorious Bastards, like the famous tavern scene, what is he doing in that scene? He's keeping it together while underneath he is just racked with fear. Like this is sort of Fassbender's thing, right? And so people who say like, oh, he's just like blank in this movie. Like, I, I don't think I could see him as blank if I tried, because even if even when he is blank on the surface, there's this whole history of him playing calm and composed characters who are just bursting at the seams underneath. I don't think he is blank. I think he's goofy as fuck. Yeah. But you like, think it's unintentional. Yeah, you saying goofy no, there has to be plays something... into Noah's read. Uh, so no, that... the... I think he's a fool, this character, basically. Uh, sure, but I don't think he's a fool looking for connection. I think he's um, a thirteen-year-old boy trapped in a man's body. Like, yeah, like wh- whatever you want to say about his inner life, we could agree or disagree. But the choice that he's making as an actor, or whatever Fincher is telling him to do with his voice, is so dis- beyond distracting. I don't um, even know what you're referring to. What is he doing with his voice? He, first of all, he's doing this American accent that makes him sound like some dillweed <laughs> from the middle of nowhere. And he's speaking so softly that it, it's got to be some kind of choice they're doing to emphasize, I don't know, like the coldness of this work or the boredom of this work. But it's just like every time I heard him speak, I don't know, it just really made me cringe. Hmm. I I can kind of understand that. I do think that it's an affected kind of like. It's just so affected. Exactly. So you know what it reminded me of sometimes. So Dexter, the Showtime Mm. original Mm -hmm. TV show um, that was good for like one and a half seasons. If even that much, his internal monologue always made my fucking teeth set on edge. Like I, he like his internal like. My dark passenger, like I, you know, all these people are shaking my hand and they don't know that, like, uh, it's covered in blood. Like, (laughs) Christ, he was like, you know, uh, you know, you have to learn how to fake being like, I have to smile, remember to smile. Uh, and like, it was so annoying. And like, it was, it was, it to me always reminded me of like, this is a 13 year old trying to be Patrick Bateman. Mm -hmm. Patrick Bateman is, is an incredibly well written and well acted character. And the only time that this has ever worked because like his whole personality is, is so fake, but that's the level of fake that it needs to be to exist in a society. So having him be that person at that time it works. Like there's a reason that Patrick Bateman's like dead behind the eyes voice works. And it's because that is his voice. And it's the, it's, it's the, <laughs> when he's describing how much he loves Phil Collins before butchering someone or Huey Lewis in the news. That's the only time that he ever like breaks out into some goofiness and some energy. But Do you think Dexter, Fisher, Fincher Dex- wishes that he directed that movie? I'm, I don't know. I'm glad he didn't because that's a movie where like I, you, you get the comedy, even though the movie is shot and edited and acted like a classic, you know, horror movie, but there is something else happening that gives it the energy of this is fucking hilarious. Like, even though there's this terrible shit happening, he is chasing a woman naked and covered in blood with keds on and a chainsaw. 
and it's hilarious. And I, it's it, Mary Heron's work in that movie is 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 spectacular, like second to none. And I just feel like we don't have enough of that extra animating chaotic energy in this movie to really drive home all of the super interesting stuff that Noah's seeing in a way that I think is served by the film. I think that's fair, actually. And I think for people who don't lock into this character the way that I did, like the first second he started speaking, it would have been very helpful maybe to have a scene where he really shows like one scene, right? Where he really shows what I'm talking about, that he is desperate for connection, that he is roiling with emotion underneath his placid surface. And that he is like, as Robin said, a 13 year old boy in like a a grown man's body. I saw that the whole way through, but I think that is because I just, I just got this character from the beginning. I will, I will, I will give credit to you guys that the film would have probably been stronger for everyone uh, if there had been at least like one scene like that towards the end of the movie. I think it's there, but you really, really have to look for it. I think, I think, you know, the other thing that kind of kept me on the outside of not really understanding this guy is he's got this whole like, oh, you know, you have to be one of the few, like you have to, you know, blah, blah, blah. You can't be that excited about shit. And then he like comes home to this like beautiful palatial estate where he's apparently got like a kept woman. Is she kept? I don't like, I, I don't mean kept as in like uh, a victim. But she's his mole. Right. She's his, she is his like, you know, if you're, when people used to have affairs back in the day, you'd have a woman who you basically paid to sit in an apartment and go shopping and you'd come home and then you'd have sex with her. Like that kind of a kept woman. Not like she's a prisoner, but more like, hey, baby, you don't ever have to worry about anything. I've got everything covered. That level. We don't really know that, right? We don't know anything about her. That's that's, that's the problem for me in this movie. he knows her brother like they all probably have hung out from time to time it's not like she's trapped in that house right? yes i know and like once again nobody's saying phrase, she's trapped but like i know exactly woman, what you mean yeah the phrase kept woman like maybe throwing some people off it is like a mistress that is cared for like a pet like almost it's like a step beyond sugar daddy territory right it's like you know, hey, baby, I'm putting you up in this apartment. You know, have fun and everything, but you know, you're my lady. She has a job. She could have a job. Does she? Have... Does she? That's one. Of, that's the problem. Is you're saying these things, I have no concept of who this woman is, or like how they met, and like that is an issue for me in the twit, the twist of the movie of him being like, like, because I don't know, maybe he's the world's funniest, most charismatic guy when she's around, but we don't see that other side of him. So it could be like there is something to be done with. You know, I'm I'm at home, right, with my friends, and I am cursing a blue streak. I'm making funny jokes. I'm talking <laughs> about the heroin deal I did in Charleston that one time. But then I go to my government job, and I am, you know, hey, I'll have those reports for you. <laughs> What's up, man? You catch the commanders? I'm going to have those reports for you in two minutes. Like that kind of thing. You know, like you code switch into I am now a guy who just gets stuff done. And that this movie could be what if you're, hey, like, you know, the TPS reports are due in 14 minutes. Like, I, I'll have them due in 10. What if your job doing that was to murder someone and suddenly you cannot disassociate in the way that you're supposed to? And, you know, the guy who 
like is you know giving to charity and going to baseball games and stuff suddenly has to merge with the the cold-hearted killer i think i think he does do that and i, I think we see it. i don't know that we see his compassion his life to feel that though what about his compassion towards um the well, first taxi of all, driver. <laughs> no, I, I've already tried that. And it I know you. I appreciate the effort, but that's still not working for me. I, I will say that uh, when he walks into the hospital, I do think we see a slightly different version of him. Like it's subtle, but you know, he puts his hands up to his face. He's genuinely overcome for a moment at seeing the woman he loves in that state. I think that does show us something. I think there is a different look in his or eyes. Or he's worried that she said shit. Oh, that's. Robin, that's so cynical. He's in love. Or am I (laughs) You keep saying these things, but I don't know that the movie's text is supporting it. No, I do think they're just kind of like, okay, well, actually, you can tell me. Are they holding hands or something, or are they just sitting next to one another? I think he touches her maybe once. Whoa, fucking steamy. (laughs) It's a big deal for him. Progress. That's progress. (laughs) No, but I, Robin, I do think there's a reading of the film, which is he is do, just doing all of this to cover his ass, like to protect himself. I mean, that's not what he says. He says he's doing it to protect her. But I think you could read it. He's just so like obsessed that he failed and he's trying to somehow like make that right in his own mind. Um, that's not my reading of the film, but I do think it's a legitimate one that I've heard other people espouse. Mm-hmm. Um, Can we go back to basics here and just talk about the fact that all of this comes to fruition because he fucks up. He yes. is supposed to be, um, you know, this hot shot sniper and completely doinks the shot in a way that is so obvious. <laughs> yeah. He doinks it. First of all, I mean, anybody doing their homework will tell you, don't put music on when you're trying to concentrate. That is the <laughs> dumbest fucking thing I've ever heard. Second of all, don't do it when you're when there's clearly some dominatrix flailing at the window. Like it was, you know, he keeps saying in the movie, like, don't improvise, anticipate. Well, you okay, could have fucking so, anticipated this woman wiggling here's her way. The thing, Robin, I mm. this is the moment where I do say <laughs> that I believe that his his shitty internal monologue is at a certain point meant to be deployed ironically. Mm-hmm. And I think that it comes basically from the minute that 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 low rent. I'm sorry, I shouldn't. Maybe she's a very expensive dominatrix. She wasn't doing anything for me. Um, Not the, like the typical dominatrix would. He was yeah, just getting no. started, Brian. You had to give her some more time there. I will never know. That's now. true. She could have just had a long wind up, you know. Um, <laughs> like, what if with that she she's like getting into the zone? What if with that heel turn that she does, which ends up getting her killed i assumed or at least very grievously wounded um yeah what if that was like it what if she was in show mode and we were about to see some stuff anyway um i can't remember what we were gonna say because i got hung up on being mean to and then being you're talking about, about the me. voiceover uh the voiceover being ironic there right yeah i think that up until that point maybe he's like we're we're looking at it in a serious way when he's talking about the mcdonald's and everything but there is a certain point where everything all of his little his little things are being said in contrast to the fact that he is everything at the certain point becomes improvisation. And he does start acting with a little more emotion and empathy. Even if that empathy only extends to murdering a woman in her home so she can be found by her children and they can get her life insurance. That was, no, you can't, that still doesn't make any sense because he broke her neck. You're going to know immediately that. No, because then he pushed her down the stairs. Yes. 
That's why he did it that way. No, yeah. I think I think forensics would pick that up. You really think that the, the insurance company is going to be like, I don't know, this looks more like the type of torsion fracture <laughs> that you'd get from being murdered by the killer than falling just, down like, the so stairs. There's so much other evidence that would be in the house. Also, didn't she have drugs in her system? Like, no, they're going to know something's funky. Yeah, she took that. drugs in the bathroom. They're going to think she just overdosed probably and fell down the stairs. Or she was, is, were those her drugs? I don't know. The, I was confused about the drugs thing because I thought that was her being like, I'm going to die anyway. Fuck you. No, I think she was just freaking out and she took oh, some Oh, so drugs. she like took some anxiety medicine or something. No, I thought she was definitely like coup de gras herself. No. Okay, well, Noah, watch the movie a fourth time and come back and let us know. <laughs> yeah, I will. You know I will. Yeah. Um, no, no. So in, in my mind, he did that specifically because she's like, you know, my kids can't think I left them. They need my life insurance. And he's like, all right, let's go to your house and I'll fucking murder you on your stairs. And I, yeah. Robin, I don't know, maybe like in this economy, insurance companies are super not wanting to pay their premiums and the payouts and everything. But I feel like woman is found on steps possibly with some valium in her system but it's clearly a prescription and uh, her neck is broken they'll be like yeah this feels like she just fell and died Mm -hmm. let's let's try it out let's go fucking murder someone and throw them down some stairs and (laughs) see i have that dream so often like that is my number one recurring dream murdering somebody and then living in the fear of being caught. It's never about, oh, I murdered somebody. I'm so upset about it. How did I do this? It's just like, oh, fuck. I ruined my life. <laughs> okay, so I have had the I've accidentally murdered someone dream. But my dream, I do feel really bad about it. So Now I'm always afraid of getting caught. Clearly, Robin and I are very different human beings. Um, yeah. What was it? Yeah, but you no, live so- in shame. I live in guilt. Very different. Yeah, yeah, that is very different. I, I appreciate the, the distinction, but yeah, I think I think that his voiceover is most act most often deployed ironically. But I do feel like it would be more interesting if he modulated the delivery ever, like the constant repetition, almost mm-hmm. like they're just looping the audio. There's an opportunity there to inject some character in, and I feel like it's missed. Like we're not getting. And this like almost plays into the David Fincher is like not a truly human man mm-hmm. <laughs> stereotype because he's like, what are you talking about? Like what 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 is inflection in the voice? <laughs> like I don't hear that when people speak to me. Well, um, I do think it, it gets a little more absurd as it goes on. Like he look he he fucks up at least three times in the movie. He fucks up by missing uh, the shot in the beginning, right? And he fucks up when he kills his his boss because he says you're going to have six to seven minutes to live, and then he dies immediately. <laughs> Which is there's another moment where I would like like the fish on the hook. Oh, they set the hook again. Yep. Whoops. And then he messes up the the medication, uh, the sleep stuff for the dog, right? Because the dog wakes up like way too quick and almost gets him. So like to me, all of that, the voiceover becomes more absurd. Like the more you see how bad he actually is. Yeah. He lets job. the dog live. You know, he could have very easily done something to that dog. But yeah, but you know what? I was thinking about it. That dog's not going to live for much longer because he's oh, no, it's, it's a. He's a pit bull. He's going to end up in a shelter. He'll be euthanized in like right, and it's Florida, right? Like that's yeah, a. Exactly. I mean, like yes. when you get when you say, when you rescue animals up here in mm-hmm. uh, the Maryland Virginia area, or actually, I should say the DC area, they all come from high kill shelters down south. 
Yep, exactly. Yep. Um, what was I gonna say? Uh something about modulating the voice doesn't kill the dog. Yeah, I don't know. Like I, I this this is why I keep saying like it's a C plus B minus movie. Like it's so close oh. to being interesting. And you can inject those reads on top of it, but I wish the movie did more to make that a fun, active part of it. Because for me, I was just, like, I started to think about stuff like that afterwards. But in the midst of the movie, I was like, there he goes, robotically working to kill these people again. He's saying his tenets. He's not really following them. I understand. I get it. <laughs> yep. But uh, here we go. Nope. Oh, he's having a fight with this guy. Did that guy just get a table leg up his ass? <laughs> no, it must not be that bad. He is still trying to kill the killer. And so they really I, I, built him up as a quote-unquote freak, and he just seemed like some dude. I think yeah. he's uh, he's uh, he's grow he's having more and more intimate interactions as the film goes on, and I think the fight, the fight is like it's, it's a like sex scene. It's almost a sex scene. Yeah, that's well, what I was saying that ironically. And <laughs> no, I, I, he says early in the movie, uh, in his voiceover, before he does anything, in part of those twenty minutes of voiceover that he's grown to appreciate proximity work. Yes. Like he says, like, I miss like doing stuff close to another person. I miss killing people from nearby as opposed so to. Do you th- maybe this, maybe we're reading this movie wrong. Maybe this is the Stella got her groove back of killer movies <laughs> because he's got to do this like across the plaza, you know, high up on a, you know, the skyscraper in the arrondissement. Right. And now, He's like, it's a, it's the chef of killing movies. You know, he's like, oh, this is what corporate America wants me to do. But now I'm going to do it for passion and love. And I'm going to go on a field trip. I'm going to cross the country killing <laughs> people the way I want to kill them. Uh, you know, if only it, that's what it was. Honestly, then I might again, be And again, a, a Mary Heron, like American psycho style. Hey, you know, meet Tom. Tom's an assassin who's in a bit of a rut. And then you have like Michael Fassbender being like, I miss proximity work, man. I miss getting up someone close. I've done so many long range assassinations, you know, but one fateful mistake. And then like you show him shooting the dominatrix and him going like, oh, fuck, he's going to send Tom down a whole new direction. And then like (laughs) Strawberry Hill starts playing, you know, and it's him in a car. And he's like, I've got to kill my boss. I've got to kill the two guys who are coming to kill me. I got to kill at least one money guy and probably like six police officers at some point. And it's like, you know, sometimes to learn to love again and learn to live, you got to kill a couple of people. You know, Michael Fassbender is the killer. You guys are basically describing the movie that I saw. I I know, but I just... wild. wild. The one thing I'll say, you know... The ending like does throw a little wrench in my theory. I think Uh-oh. like it would be better if the final scene was not him letting that guy go, but maybe like strangling him or like something that was more physically intimate. Right. Like, that would, he he that throws be a, a snake at him. Killing the money guy makes no sense because fucking somebody like jacked uh jeffrey epstein and we still don't know what happened like give me a fucking break that's because there were more powerful money guys who don't want us to know what happened and we kind of do know what happened (laughs) yeah seriously (laughs) (sighs) 
Oh, man. Um, yeah, no, I know. I just want to. So I actually have written a, a script treatment for an assassin movie before, but now I want to write like the, you know, the about Schmidt, Stella got her groove back chef assassin movie. Now you should have him like accidentally adopt a child. <laughs> <laughs> so we throw Big Daddy into the mix yeah. as well. Uh, and this, okay, I have and to ask to you though. And he has to transport the child to safety. Okay, now this is just sounding like the transporter. <laughs> or Leon the professional. Yeah. So, okay. But see, that's the thing. That's the thing. Do you guys really think David Fincher would just make this sort of like boilerplate assassin movie? Like, I don't would, think that is, you know, 30 again, years of these movies, right? Right. I, I agree that it seems outside of the norm for him to make a movie that has nothing going on, but it does not seem outside of the realm of possibility for him to be like not perfect at executing it. Uh, yeah, the way that it should be. Like, I, he might just be a poor match to the material. Well, and I will say, you know, his last few projects have not been his best. So there might be, it's possible he's slipping a little what bit. What is that? Um, it's uh, Mank wasn't great. Yeah, and Mindhunter, you know, we don't love. Oh, okay, yeah, we're talking about Mindhunter. Yeah, Mindhunter. I thought Mank I, like, was fine. I, I mean, I didn't love it, but I don't hate it. It's not good. <laughs> I understand his dad wrote it and everything, but like, you know, Mm-mm. you know, like, have you ever, <laughs> this is just me saying this. Have you ever listened to the podcast? My dad wrote a porno. No, I don't think so. It's the, it's this guy who's reading this like erotic fiction that his father wrote. And it's, uh, it's fucking hilarious. Cause his friends are like listening to him to read it. And they're just like, what is happening? It's a shockingly good, uh, podcast. People should check it out, but do not listen to it in the car with other people. Cool. Unless you really like them. <laughs> you can trust them. Um Yeah, I don't know. I like again, I'm I'm not saying like there's no way Fincher meant to do that. I assume that he must have meant to do that, but I just think that for me personally, the execution of that idea would be better served by someone who's more willing to put some sauce on it. Mm-hmm. You know, dash a little habanero reaper onion pepper sauce on there. You know, just like give me something. Like let's let's have some fucking fun with this if we're gonna do it. Why does it have to be so dour? I, I know you're laughing. gonna say. I know I you're gonna say it's funny, time. Noah. The whole time I was laughing. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I'm glad I think you, you wrote this movie as it was going along, like in your own head. Uh, it's possible. I wasn't on any drugs. I'll tell you that much. And if you were, you didn't fall down the stairs and snap your neck <laughs> in a way that would make the insurance people say, wait a second, I think this one was killed by the killer. <laughs> <laughs> I saw this movie in a movie theater. And like, nobody has a fucking name except maybe the girlfriend. And that's also just dumb. What's her name? Uh, is she Dolores? Leo. No, Dolores is the office assistant, right? Leo has a name, the taxi driver. Yeah, poor Leo. Marcus is apparently got a name. Oh, Marcus is the brother. Mm. His boss has a name too, right? Uh, yeah, it's like AJ Hodges. It's Hodges, the lawyer, played Hodges. by Charles Parnell. Yeah, love that guy. Did you know, David David Fincher's daughter is named Felix, spelled P H E L I X. All right, cancel the man. <laughs> <laughs> is that really Felix? That's not like Felix. I don't know. It could be pronounced Felix. The fact that it's a it's PH so makes wrong me think on it's so Felix. many levels. Close to Felix me. is one of the killer's, um, you know, fake names. 
but with yeah, a, Felix Unger from the uh, yeah. what is it? The Odd Couple. The Odd Couple. Yeah, I almost said the Fairly Odd Parents. That's not right. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! All right. Do we have? Well, any... I just. Well, I want to say one more thing, which yeah, is absolutely. that you guys didn't love Crimes of the Future either, but you acknowledged that. I it, liked it. It grew on you, though. You did say that. Yeah, it went from like three stars to maybe more. And this is going to go from one to maybe more. That's my, that's my maybe prediction. two out of four. Like I'll take it's that. Not, it, it, it's like a turd, but it's not like the worst turd I've ever encountered. <laughs> well, that, that should go on the Blu-ray box. I'm glad that we got the butt <laughs> stuff back. I was really feeling Full like a we needed to tie. <laughs> I will also say that independently of my comments, my husband described this movie as a shark. So, jeez, you guys are tough. You guys are tough. <laughs> I, I I spoke to another friend of mine who also had a um no nothing shit related to say, but was also just kind of underwhelmed by it. I looked on Letterboxd. I looked at what a story. <laughs> my friends on Letterboxd. Um, there's only one other person who gave it five stars of all my letterbox friends. And that is uh, my mother. Okay. That's interesting. <laughs> Your mom's on letterbox. Yeah. She's great. You should follow Your mom's her. on letterbox. <laughs> I might just, what's her name? Um, Oh, I know. I'm, I know her name. I'm just looking to yeah, dox her. Come on. <laughs> Hi, welcome to the newest part of our podcast. It's called Dox Your Mom, where you tell our followers <laughs> how to find your parents on Facebook, X, formerly Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and any other social and only media fans. platform. Uh, My mom is on OnlyFans is 100% the title of like 20 different videos on RedTube, right? Like that's gotta be. That sounds like a sequel to your podcast that you like, maybe. (laughs) Dad wrote a porno. My mom is on OnlyFans. (laughs) Join me as me and three of my friends check out my mom's OnlyFans account. (laughs) Live reactions. Oh man, no! I am I. I do like the idea of adding a segment to the end of this podcast called "Dox Your Mom," <laughs> where we just encourage people not to plug their own stuff, but to plug their parents' stuff. My my mom's a great writer. Her name I, I don't mind doxing her. Her name's Amy Miller. Follow her on uh, on Letterboxd. All right, this has been the latest installment of Dox Your Mom. <laughs> Everyone, go follow Noah's mom. I'm going to monitor her comments, guys. So fucking. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. All right. Um, so, yeah. Any so any any final, final thoughts before we, we sign off for this evening? I appreciate you guys letting me share. No, but like I said, I, like when when I saw how fucking amped you were about this movie, I was like, this is the energy we need, because otherwise we would have ended 45 minutes ago. <laughs> it just would have been Robin and I going like, eh, you know, uh, what, uh, yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah. yeah. Okay, all right. Yeah. The yeah. Smiths. Cool. Whatever. <laughs> they were better used in 500 days of summer. It's whatever. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, it would have been over and it would have been a very boring episode. I'm glad we had someone here who had a read on it. And honestly, like, I probably won't watch it again immediately, but I will probably watch it again, keeping in mind some of what you said. And if I uh, if I Some end up agreeing said, with you, I will re-edit this podcast so that every time Robin speaks, it's just the sound of uh, people sharding. <laughs> <laughs> yes, thank you, Robin. That was gross. 
Okay, well, that's enough scatological humor for this evening. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for joining us. Robin, what are we talking about next time? We're talking about the holdovers. Oh, uh, yeah. It's oh, Paul shit. Giamatti time. Daddy. <laughs> Jesus Christ. All right. Um, so that's it for today. Hope that you all have enjoyed this installment of our podcast. Don't forget to go to movie.com slash filmstage. That's M-U-B-I dot com slash filmstage to watch Werewolf. Um, and uh, to get your free 30 days trial subscription movie. Uh, and uh, don't also forget to go to our uh, Patreon, patreon.com slash the filmstage show to uh, get access to our Slack channel where you can talk to us in real time. So that's it for today. Let's tell the fine people at home where we can be found between now and the next time that we're in their ears. We will start with our guest. Noah, where can people find you and your work online? Uh, yeah, Twitter, X, Noah Gattel, two T's, two L's. I'm on the, the blue. I'm in the blue place as well. I don't know if we can, we would say that here. Blue that's sky. What, that's, uh, that's where a story is from, right? Why am, I, why am I talking like a... No, it's the fucking girl from Lady in the Water. She says, I come from the blue place. <laughs> You expected me to remember. I know. The second I said that, I was like, wow, I made a, first of all, without calling out the name of the movie, I made a reference to Lady in the Water. I used the character name, which no one will remember. Yeah. um, That's just, you know, I have forgotten people that I have been in love with, but I, for some reason, remember most of the the fucking plot of Lady in the Water. And... Every New Girl episode, apparently. Yeah, man. Go watch A Father's Love and Chicago. Uh, those are like a, a match pair. And then watch Elaine's Big Day for a classic, wonderful New Girl cameo. I also have a Substack. <laughs> what was the name of that Substack again? It's called Good Eye, and it's about movies and baseball. Good Eye. Is it, so it's about movies and baseball. So it's both of those things. Did they ever cross over, or are you saving that all for the book? And it's going to cross over as we get closer to the publication date. Are you going to like do that thing where you like, this is like a, an excerpt from my book? I'm definitely going to do that. I'm probably going to really like talk a lot about what it was like to write the book and how I got an agent to like all that, uh, you know, logistical stuff that people are interested in. All right. Well, if you want to fucking hope- write a book, you better follow Noah Gattel on Substack so that you can yeah. uh, learn all about his experiences. That's correct. Shit. Yeah. All right. Robin Barr. Oh, um, I guess you can find me on X, Twitter, whatever the fuck that is. Uh, <laughs> at Robin <laughs> at Robin Barr, R-O-B-Y-N-B-A-H-R. Uh, you can also sometimes find my writing at The Hollywood Reporter. All right. And you can find all of my stuff over at my personal site, BrianJerone.com. You can also, of course, find out all about the whiskey that I make over at InkwellWhiskey.com. And uh, you can uh, follow me on all the social media sites at Brian J. Rowan. Um, I'm on pretty much all of them, and uh, I'm active on like two of them. What else? Uh, that's about it, actually. So if you would like to hear uh, every episode of this year's podcast or see any of the writing that I've done on film, go to thefilmstage.com. So that's it for today. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us, and tune in next time. Driving in your car. Cause it's not my home, it's their home and I'm welcome